Today's episode is brought to you by 1-800-NUMBER, a creative agency that's produced iconic moments for artists like Lil Luzi Vert, Future, Isaiah Rashad, 24K Golden, and some global brands like Nike, Sony, Universal Music Group, Warner, Rock Nation, TDE, and more. If you want to learn more how about you can help your clients, your brands, and your artists get to the next level, book a free 30-minute chat with 1-800-NUMBER today. Click the link in the show notes to learn more. There ain't no better feeling to know coming into the event, it's going down. Like that feeling that morning, those mornings be like the best mornings because you really, it's two times. It's the day you drop and then the morning of the festival. That is just, there's nothing like those two days coming into that time. And those are moments that you really appreciate and you cherish. And we've had mornings that have felt good like that. And we've had some mornings that have felt bad because we ain't always walked into the festival that morning knowing it was about to be a win. Hey, welcome to the Trapital Podcast. I'm your host and the founder of Trapital, Dan Runcy. This podcast is your place to gain insights from the executives in music, media, entertainment, and more who are taking hip hop culture to the next level. Today's episode is with Brandon McKayhern and Marcus Allen. They're the founders of Broccoli City. It's a two-day music festival that's based in D.C. that has headliners Ari Lennox, Summer Walker, they have Lil Durk, Gunna, and a great lineup of some of the biggest names in hip-hop and R&B. This festival is focused on celebrating Black culture more broadly with the entire weekend they have planned with the BLK Change Weekend, they have a 5K, and they have other community events that really speak to many of the topics that me, Brandon, and Marcus talk about on this episode. We talk about what it was like for them to get this festival off the ground, given some of the challenges the past two years and how COVID set them back. We also talked about some of the challenges dealing with particular artists. Some of you may remember there was a pretty public complaint from Wale. He was one of the artists that was frustrated, but they were able to navigate some things with him. So we talked about what it's like dealing with artists on some of their pushback, but also we talked a little bit about the broader agent landscape. If you've been following Trapital, you know I've talked about examples of the NBA where you have an agent like a Rich Paul and a Clutch Sports and the influence that they've had making things happen for their stars. Well, the same thing happens in the music industry with some of these powerful agents that are trying to convince themselves and others that their stars deserve to have headlining spots everywhere. So we talk a little bit about that. We also talk about what it's like for black music festival promoters and how they are not just pushing this but also some of the challenges they may have in this industry we also talk about some of the other economics some of the decisions and what brandon and marcus are most excited for and how all that stays afloat if you are interested at all in the music festival space what it takes to put one on this is definitely the conversation for you it was a great chat and it was great to reconnect with them both here's my chat with brandon and marcus all right, we got Brandon and Marcus, co-founders of Broccoli City. Y'all are back. COVID set y'all back for a couple of years. But y'all like, nah, we're going to be here. We're going to make this happen. So how does it feel? Man, it feels good. It feels good to be back. Happy that the world is opening up. You know, for a minute there, Dan, we thought that we was going to be able to come back for 2021. But, you know, COVID and Amarion had a different plan in mind. You know what I mean? So so that's, uh, but, we're, but we're happy we're back this year, though. 2022, 
two days, you know, we outside. So it's a good look. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it must have been stressful because 2021, once everyone got vaccinated, I'm sure you probably thought the rest of the year was green light, right? Go, let's go. But no, Omarion came through with that touch. (laughs) (laughs) And a couple other festivals got off. You know what I mean? So that was the thing that kind of had you like, dang, you know, like Lollapalooza, the biggest festival, one of the best festivals out. Shout out to them. They actually got to go on. Rolling Loud got to do theirs. Shout out to Matt and Tariq. Like, so... Yeah, we just got the short end of the stick on that side, but it's all good. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the other part, too, is is that out of the festivals that got off, we were the only ones that was focusing on people of color, right? And so there was a certain optic that was in the air that was like, as our people was the most affected, it was a decision. Like, you know, do we put all of our people in, in, in jeopardy, right? Do we create a big, a spreader event? And will the world accept us having a big spreader of it, like how they may accept somebody else. And like Brandon and I have just decided it just wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth the risk on anybody's part. So walk me through the steps of being able to put this back on, right? Because I'm sure some of those same questions you're talking about, Marcus, some of that trade-off, are people going to be comfortable if there's a super spreader event when we're putting this on? What was that decision process like? Man, so, I mean, I think... It Number one, it was we decided we're going to push through like we came in the 22 saying it's going to take the world to pretty much be shut down for us not to come back. Right. So I think that was number one. We got on the same page with our partners at Live Nation just in terms of what their plan was for COVID going into 22. And once they gave us the hey, listen, we're, we're all full steam ahead. We supporting you guys fully. We were locked in. Brandon, everybody affiliated and so and connected to us, booking talent, started booking talent man, probably back in what, November. And it took probably longer than it ever took us to book talent because so many shows were rescheduled for 22. So many people wanted to get back on tour. Venues were booked and double booked. And so this year was everything about this year was very much different than what we ever, ever had. And on the side of trying to book the talent, you mentioned it took much longer than ever. What were some of those conversations like? Because I'm sure you had interest, but was there more hesitancy because of their own discomfort about COVID or was it just their own uncertainty about their schedules? What was that like? I think that the COVID, the COVID side of it, D, wasn't necessarily the conversation. It was more so the busy runway. Like everybody knew that everybody was coming back. So you may want to book an artist, but they got a, a four or five city tour that they're trying to push out. You know what I mean? So at the time, they're not necessarily thinking about a festival. They're trying to do their own, you know, single tour. So it was just having those conversations with agents and obviously management as well saying, hey, you know, this could be a part of your tour day or whatever the case may be. But I think it was yet again, it, it really was just a runway. It was just so packed. It was so packed. That makes sense. And I'm curious, what was it like from the price perspective? Because when you're dealing with agents, when you're dealing with folks, whether it's the artists or even the venues, like were people on or what was there? Were they trying to be like Fat Joe with the yesterday's price is not today's price? Yesterday's price is today's price. You know what I mean? So I don't know if everybody was just trying to get their bread back from what they had lost previously. You know what I mean? Those years that, that, that we were off. But yeah, prices have definitely went up. Like the game is crazy, especially when you say that F word. You know what I mean? As soon as you say festival, it changes the dichotomy of the, of the, of the conversation. You know yeah, what I mean? Agents was talking about inflation. It's like, what was inflated in the price of people themselves? Like what? I don't get how could there be inflation connected with booking talent? You know, it's a trip. <laughs> <laughs> it's a trip, you know? That's the cost oh, yeah. you got to play though, D. That's what you got to do. You know what I mean? 
That's the cost of playing this game. You know what I'm saying? It's a big cost too. So tell my oh, yeah. young festival people about to get into this festival game, just know these cats is crazy out here. You know what I mean? Can you talk a bit more about that piece you mentioned where once you mentioned festival, the prices go up or people's eyes light up? Yeah. Break, break down, like, why is that? And how much higher are we talking? Yeah. Now, granted, all this stuff has happened like pre-Marcus and Brandon, right? Like we are, I would say we were Allen Iverson before he got into organized ball. You know what I mean? Like that was us for the longest time. We were independent. I mean, we actually still kind of are independent, but a uh, club show, that's different than, you know, than a festival date. You know what I mean? A one-off is different yet again from a festival date because I think personally they start looking at your pockets too. Well, you know yeah. what it is? It's the most festivals in, in a lot of cases, while there is a capacity once you reach capacity, that number is so big that it's crazy, right? So they're thinking about hard cap. So if you go play a Fillmore, I can say specifically, you're going to sell 1,500 tickets. When you're in a festival ground that's 100,000 square feet, I might be able to sell 20,000. I might be able to sell 50,000. So they plan for that margin. Is he going to sell 20 or is he going to sell 50? They trying to get money like you're going to play for 50. You know what I'm saying? Even if you know you only going to be able to sell to but 20, but they ain't trying to hear that. That's real because even some of these tours that take place in amphitheaters or outside venues, there's still a capacity there, but I think people see the flexibility there. But then people obviously see when there's too much flexibility and there's, there could be logistical issues and things like that. The other piece that is a factor with festivals that I would assume is probably part of it too is because it's more of a one-off event as opposed to touring, people want to up the price for that event, right? It's almost like paying someone a per diem rate, even though that per diem rate would never be their salary for if you normalized it out over a set period, right? I like the way you broke that down, D. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's gonna get, and they are, they're in demand. So they can say what, I mean, if you got a good album, if you pop in, you can kind of say whatever, you know? And to be honest, a lot of promoters have paid these artists a hefty, hefty bag. So they like, yo, I'm not going back regardless of what your festival may mean to the community or whatever the case may be, you know? So yet again, you get, you got to pay to play. And then the other parts of that too is, is that in the festival scene is so competitive with the big boys that they need certain names to be able to headline those festivals. And so they really created a housing bubble. That's really what we in right now, right? There's literally a bubble. And for only way for it to burst is that as a collective, the Live Nations, the AEGs, they got to just simply say to the agents, nah, we not paying it no more. But they keep paying it. They keep paying it. Every time for, when an agent come with a wild number, somebody's paying it. So it's resetting then, the bar. I want to make this clear that we're not anti-paying people what they work. You know what I mean? Let me just say that right now. Like, it's all good. We get it. You know what I mean? You're talented. God gave you that gift. You know, I just got through listening to you, whatever the case may be. I know what this money is doing for your family. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, a lot of these artists are getting a lot of their bread from shows. You know what I mean? I don't know what the streaming stuff is and all that. But we do understand that these festivals are a bulk of a lot of these artists' income or whatever the case may be. So we definitely adhere to that. And we pay all of our artists very well. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think nobody would say, oh, Brackley City shortchanged us or anything of that nature. Never at all. Never. That housing market analogy, I think, makes perfect sense, right? Because we're seeing it now across America. You have people with well-paying jobs doing their thing and then someone else 
given out a hundred thousand dollars above asking price cash off yep. to go buy you in the bay you know what it is price. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, exactly. And it's like, I'm sure you probably see that well, where it's like, even if you may not think an artist's market rate isn't more than what you're willing to give, not like you said, not they're trying to shortchange everyone, but there's a market for everyone for sure. But then if another festival just is willing to put everything behind it, that is the market. And then it's like, all right, well, you know, even if I may not agree with where that is, someone is willing to pay that price. So it does reset things. So I'm sure that's probably difficult to, to some perspective to deal with. But I think another thing too, and maybe part of this is navigating artist emotions or artist feelings is I've been hearing more recently, there's some artists that have started to complain about how big their name is on that music festival poster or what font size they have and stuff like that. How much do y'all deal with that? Or how much did you deal with that either in past years or this year with Brock? Man, we've actually never dealt with it before until this year. We dealt with it with somebody in much respect to that somebody as well. But, you know, honestly, and it's funny because yet again, these conversations weren't had as much as they were had this year, just in terms of the billing placement. And I don't know yet again, if that was something that happened during COVID and folks was like, hey, you know, when I come back into this game, I want to make sure my joint is bigger than everybody's name, whatever the case may be. But it's actually something that's done when we put the offer out and we're going back and forth with the agent. You know, they'll say things or management. They'll say, you know, top line billing or, you know what I mean? Like they'll make it a, a conversation piece, you know? And usually we match eye to eye on that and it's not a problem. But then sometimes the artist may not have been in communication with the management or the agent and then certain things happen. And I don't know, Dan, if you could put a clip up of what we talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know what I'm saying? But definitely to that team. Yeah. And I think on that front, you know, I know you're not trying to put anybody on blast by any means, but I'm curious though, is there some type of trade-off there where there's an artist that is frustrated about something, they're not communicating it to you, they just want to put it out on Twitter, and then all of the blog aggregators then say, oh, you know, so-and-so is upset with Broccoli City. On one hand, it may be a negative thing, but on the other hand, now y'all have a bunch of press out there where it's like, oh yeah, well, Broccoli City's back this year. Let me yeah. go check that out. What was that like? Did you notice a bump in sales after that? Complaint? I mean, sales, to be honest with you, D, sales is already in a very good place, but just in terms of the attention, to your point, we definitely got a lot of attention off that. And it became a conversation outside of just our particular event, which I thought was super dope that at least caused conversation between folks in the industry, this, that, to the third. And I think I could have swore I seen somebody else actually just do this like yesterday, a particular artist. It just got mad, I think at Lollapalooza or something mm -hmm. about, about something. So yeah, I mean, they're becoming really vocal about it, but we respect it. Though. This is the respect. other thing too, Dan, bees has a more personal connection with the agents, right? So just as an outside person to, to my degree, right? Cause I don't really talk to them, but I get firsthand information. I see the emails. A part of it, I believe is agents positioning themselves because the industry is changing, right? COVID really made artists readdress how their teams and their business were structured, right? You sit down, you've been paying people all this money. You had two years off, a year and a half off. You now get a chance to really look at your books. You now get a chance to think about what are you paying people? What are they doing to be paid? And so I believe that folks tightened up their teams, which made a lot of agents on the outside 
So obviously cream rises, right? So the best agents are going to still be the best agents, but they have to still show value, right? And we may all, everybody may be still paying you. Agents going to get you your fee for the most part. So if you're getting a hundred thousand, you're getting a hundred thousand. But if I'm an agent and I say to you, Dan, listen, I'm going to get you your bag, but I'm going to also make sure you get top line billing on every festival. Now you might know in your heart, I ain't no top line billing. But if an agent tell me I can get you top line billing and the hundred thousand, who you going to go with? That's the new game, right? It's about the value proposition of what the business is around these artists and how they're thinking about it and the value proposition of each part of their business. You know what I mean? What's the role of everybody? What are you bringing to the table for this fee I'm paying you? Mm. So this is fascinating, but it's not surprising. And I say that because I think about what we see in the NBA, right? There's been plenty polarizing opinions about the impact of Rich Paul and what he's been doing with Clutch Sports. And you can literally insert Ben Simmons in the example that you just brought up, right? But the NBA is a bit more transparent about these things. People either love or hate what Rich Paul is doing, and it's been very actively talked about. I don't know if people outside of the industry and music know that dynamic as much with regards to people in music, like who the agent is that is the equivalent of the Rich Paul or the Clutch Sports in that way, where the client goes there because the client is like, hey, my way or the highway, we are getting you to the Los Angeles Lakers. Watch me do this, right? Like, but I'm sure that even though those things are public, that's the kind of shit that y'all have All to do. <laughs> yeah, just to eat. And yeah, on that front with the headliner piece, you talked about that as well. I know that you've had different headliners each year, but is that something where that does become at least a conversation where let's say you are dealing with a agent who had promised this to their artist, but you're like, hey, we either don't want to have that person as the headliner or B, we already have it set. Does that, do those conversations stop? Is there continued negotiation there? At least for you all, what is that? piece of it been like? Usually, Dan, if a person is a headliner, we want them as a headliner, like everybody know that they're going to be the headliner. You know what I'm saying? Now, I will say for this year was a little different because we went the route of having two black women headliners in Ari Lennox and Summer Walker. In the issue that we had with a particular somebody, it was a matter of who was more important in a particular area or a particular city. It was longevity versus right now impact. Right. It's like that kind of deal. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like I've been running this race longer, but in the short term, you're bigger. Yeah. Yeah. So we and yeah. So right. And I imagine that piece is probably interesting too. I know conversations we've had offline about this, just given that you are very much wanting to have and celebrate an event that is pushing and promoting black music for black people. And that it doesn't necessarily always 100% line up with festivals that are hip hop festivals that may be having, although the artists themselves may be black, they aren't necessarily selling or having guests there or attendees who are black. I think we've seen plenty of examples of that. How does that dynamic and curation shape not just who you reach out to for headliners and others, but also how you think that shapes the makeup and the target audience for hmm. the festival? I mean, I, I think that I think we don't necessarily go for what's trendy, if that makes sense in terms on the booking side, because we actually do. We do know the culture. Right. So if you look at a Broccoli City in 2016, you know, we had Anderson Pack. You know what I mean? Like or if you look at 
what was that, March 2015, you know, we had Tronada. You know what I mean? And this is, yet again, years before they become who they become because one of the things that we try to make sure that we do is we listen to the streets, listen to little sisters, listen to nieces, listen to... Even better, go look at the 2020 Grammys and then go look at the 2020 Broccoli City Festival lineup that got canceled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know... Tell us who Doja Cat was. You know what I mean? We already knew who Doja was. And then as soon as, I'm not going to say as soon as we booked her, but, you know, everybody's starting to see her value. But we saw that way back. I heard the streets. You know what I mean? Like, I heard rules. I knew what time it was with that young lady. And I think that that's one of the things that Broccoli City does a hell of a job at, you know, is just really listening and finding that talent early and being able to give them a shot before everybody kind of hops on the bandwagon of that particular person. So that piece there, listening, finding the talent and having an ear before the mainstream does, how has that piece of it changed? Because, you know, y'all been doing this for a few years now. In 2015, 16, there was no TikTok and there wasn't some of these other things. But how has that played a factor in what you're noticing or what you're trying to pick up on where yeah, things I'm, are headed? I think it's still the same. I think it's still listening to the youth. You know what I mean? And we do know one TikTok song that, you know, hours and hours and all that. And we got money, you know, buddies on the festival. So I think it's just different avenues. At one point, it was all SoundCloud. You know what I mean? And and that was kind of like your avenue to the music. So I think it's really just kind of just staying above and making sure that you got an ear to the streets and, and not thinking that you know it all. I think sometimes we get in a space where we think like, oh, we know this, that to the third. Like, no. There's a 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old that's way cooler than you. And that's who you need to be listening to. I think also, too, some of it is timing, too, right? Because it's, it's one thing to know the right artist, but if you book them off-season, you hustling backwards, right? So, like, in an example, we booked a lineup in 28, I guess, in November, but we got Dirk. Dirk was off-cycle in 2020, but right, I mean, in 2021, but right now, he's crazy. It look, we look crazy. I, I was on a call listening to B talk to somebody and they asking B, how did you know? How did you know it was Dirk? Because if you look at the festivals, Dirk is, we're the only festival that Dirk's a major name, right? And so we look, B looking like, you know, like he, like he perfect predicted the future, but it was really just understanding that he was coming, right? And just believing that Dirk is a strong artist and he's coming. Yeah, I think so much of that insight is key, right? That is your job at the end of the day. You're trying to have these. You want to create the memories for fans to be like, oh, yeah, remember they were on Dirk early. We had that because then that obviously builds the audience and the people that come back year after year after year on that front. And that is something that I've been thinking, too, especially with a festival like yours. Do you have stats or anything on how many of the people are repeat purchasers or the folks that come back as opposed to being able to try to bring the new audience in? And what do those two groups look like? We got a super high, um, super high turnover rate. And I would say not only the super high turnover rate of people who attend, the one tier connection to people who went, right? So like, oh, I saw my cousin went two years ago. Now I want to go, right? And so I think it's very close to that as well. Like, it's almost like I wasn't ready for it three years ago. Now I'm ready. Right now I get it. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Let's take a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsor. Let's chat more about today's sponsor, 1-800-NUMBER. One of the challenges that I often hear from Trapital listeners is how hard it is to capture attention. One of the best ways to break through the noise is to create memorable moments. It's not easy, 
but it becomes a little bit easier if you can work with a trusted team that knows how to do it and can help make it happen. That's why 1-800-NUMBERS started its agency. In 2021, they generated over 3 billion views across 30 projects. And now in 2022, they're focused on the creator economy's growth, Web3, and the importance of creative direction to optimize the new digital revenue streams and experiences in the real world and in the metaverse. If you want to learn more about how 1-800-NUMBER can help you and your clients, your artists, or your brands, click the link in the show notes and you can book a free 30-minute chat to learn more about what they can do to help your company. And for both of y'all, what does success look like? So when you're looking back after the festival, of course, there's things like tickets and revenue, but from a high level, what does success look like? I mean, for me, and yet again, Marcus will probably have a different answer because I connect to the world a little different than he does. But for me, it's the stories. It's the stories. Obviously, bottom line stuff, right? We want to make sure we hit all of our bottom line and shit was good financially. But it's the stories, man. Like when I hear the stories of, B, me and my homegirl was out there and da-da-da-da-da, like to me, that. Or another thing, Dan, is artists having a good time too. You know what I mean? Like going back to an Anderson Pack story, I, Fox story, I remember him saying that this was the first time he had performed in front of this many black people. You know what I mean? Which I thought was crazy and, and, and dope at the same time. So it's those type of things for me that really claim success on my side. And I don't know if Mark has Nah, I mean, it ain't no better feeling like the money always got to be right. Let's just be clear, right? Like, I mean, that's what we're here for, Dan. We're here to make money. But it ain't no better feeling to know coming into the event, it's going down. Like that feeling, that morning, those mornings be like the best mornings because you really, it's two times. It's the day you drop and then the morning of the festival. That is just, there's nothing like those two days coming into that time. And those are moments that you really appreciate and you cherish. And we've had, Mornings that have felt good like that. And we've had some mornings that have felt bad because we ain't always walked into the festival that morning knowing it was about to be a win. So when you know it's going to be a win, you really, really appreciate that. You really appreciate it. And then once everybody get home safely and you get back to that hotel, you can look at your partner in the eye and be like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a great feeling, man. That shit is a great feeling. That's special. I hear that. And can you talk more about that, actually? So those mornings that for past festivals where maybe you woke up and you weren't sure how it was going to go or you had less certainty, what was it about the planning or leading up to it that made you feel that? And then on the flip side, what is it about those festivals where you're like, yes, this is going to be the best one yet? What was it about that feeling the morning that made you have that memory? So it's, it's wild, Dan, because, and Brandon, you might even feel differently about this, but I after doing it for enough years, either the people want it or they don't. There's not much that you can do to market it to a sellout. You can make sure it stays in front of people, but when they want it and if they don't, they don't. And so you spend four months, five months just talking about what the flyer going to look like. The name's going to be on it. So it's like somebody dropping an album, you know what I'm saying? And cats ain't messing with it. That's like, it's hard to accept it because... You don't like so-and-so and so-and-so? You're kidding me. Like, how? And you like, man, we're going to put these marketing plans together. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. But then you get to the point where you realize they just ain't messing with it. They just ain't messing with it. And so it's like, you know, when you see somebody drop an album, they sell 100000 the first week. And the second week, they sold 5000 10000 
because that nobody wanted to tell nobody. People wasn't talking about it. And so it just dies off. Mm, that makes sense. Brent, anything you add to that? Nah, I think he hit it right on the head. You know what I mean? Like you put a lot of time and effort in this thing, but they don't want it. They don't want it. And you got to eat that. <laughs> you got to eat that. It's like, it's fascinating because obviously so much of that is dependent on the lineup that you have and how people are feeling about the lineup. And I'm sure this affects every festival people buy tickets because they want to see them. But I'm sure you probably have people that will go to Broccoli City regardless because they just enjoy the vibe of it. And in your opinion, do you think any festival in the country has that benefit where it is if they have whoever is the headliner just because it's that name and just because it's that vibe, they will have a dedicated audience? Or do you think this is something that every festival promoter has to navigate? I mean, I personally think that there are some festivals out there that just have that, right? Like yet again, the Lollapaloozas of the world, possibly even like the Bottle Rocks, you know what I'm saying? Like, and if you notice, I'm not naming any any urban-led festivals, you know what I'm saying? Black-led festivals. I would love to see more of that within our communities and all honesty, like, you know, just kind of loyal to the work that, you know, your people are putting in to kind of put something together. But, you know, that's, that's, you just cry, you know what I mean? You preach into the choir at that point, right? So it is what it is. But I do think that there are some staple brands, like I said, the Lollapaloozans of the world, Bottle Rock, Mark, I'm pretty sure you got some. Maybe in terms of black, maybe only Essence. Oh, yeah. That's a little for sure. That's- I think it's probably only Essence that I would say from a black perspective actually has real draw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's something that we're working on, right? Like you want to keep giving people, you know, it's like, man, we've been doing this for 10 years. Are you going to trust us at some point? You know what I mean? So, yeah, but it's just an interesting thing, Dan, just in terms of the urban side. Yeah, definitely. I feel like Essence definitely has that annual Black homecoming vibe to it that makes it the such the draw it is. And I think for you and a lot of your peers who are also Black festival promoters in urban music are also in that same boat wanting to build that up as well. And Brad, I know we talked a little bit about this, but what has it been like from your perspective? Because obviously you see that so much of the music from this community is what is making these festivals the money. But you as a, both of y'all as black promoters in this space are likely still experiencing challenges, pushing so much of this, even though it is your music that is making this entire ecosystem what it is. Yeah, no, nah, I mean, it's really just a trip. And at the end of the day, you know, shout out to folks like you, right, that, that give us somewhat of a platform to kind of, you know, just speak. So people just kind of know what we, I, I don't even think that people even, they don't even think about it, you know, like. Maybe those who are in kind of a creative space think about it. But I know there's been people who have, you know, may have talked shit to me or something at some point. Right. But then they start planning something big and they'll text me like, you know what, B, my bad, bro. My bad, man, because now I see what you were going through when I thought that it was just kind of a voila kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? But it takes a lot of hard work. And it's interesting yet again, going back to dealing with agents from our side on the urban side. And how they may treat me versus how they may treat, you know, Jordan and those folks from Governor's Ball. You know what I mean? Like the tone of their voice. You know, we talked about this a little bit earlier, Dan. Not saying they talk to you crazy, but I done had some wild conversations with some of these agents. You know what I mean? And even going back to the artists, right? And, And our particular artists that we were speaking of. My question is, I wonder would the comrade, I wonder would he have done that on another festival? You get what I'm saying? Or do you feel like you can do that because we're so close in terms of 
camaraderie. It's like, you know how your friends treat you versus somebody who don't know you treat you, if that makes sense, if that makes sense. It's a fair question, right? Like, because I'm sure you probably wondered, oh, would they have done that if it was Coachella, one, and two, how would people respond if they were trying to say something about yeah. a festival like Coachella? Would they be as forgiving, I suppose, you know what I mean? Or try to get to the bottom of the issue or just snip you, you know? I think we saw that last year or the year before last with an artist saying a certain thing and every festival followed suit and snip, snip. Right. It doesn't take much for word to travel and people to just see how the dynamic is. I know one of the changes for you over the years with this festival has been the partnership with Live Nation Urban and what you've been able to do with them. How has it been working with them and what influence have they had for you all in the more recent years with the festival? Marona, Marona, you want to take that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think the number one thing that they've been able to do is take some of the financial risk off of Brandon and I to be able to operate the festival in much more of a business and not a annual re-up, right? Where every year we got to figure out how to get back in position to raise capital, to find an investor, to, you know what I mean? It's just like a, a consistent cycle. You can't grow a brand having to do that every single year because you're starting from scratch every time, right? And when you're doing that, one loss is devastating. You know what I mean? It's devastating and as an independent where, I mean, you think they think they've been in a lot of blues been going on for 25, 40, 30 years. You know what I mean? You think they don't want every year. You know what I'm saying? Like it's an ebb and flow. Like you're going to lose some years. And so that's what Live Nation gives us the ability to do is have some years to just be normal. Right. And not make two million dollars at the gate. Right. Like just be normal. Like, yo, we lost money this time. All right. We're going to be back next year and we know we're going to be back. So that's huge. And I, and I would say, you know, shout out to our partner, Sean G, who is you know, who's been in the game, you know what I mean? And it's rare that you meet, you know, other people that's been through what you've been through, you know what I mean? So just big shout out to him and his vision and everything that he's built. And let us work um, too. He let yeah, us work. Yeah, let yeah, let us work. He don't play the, yeah, he don't micromanage. He let us work. He want to see stuff when it goes out. He want to make sure he got some merch. You know what I mean? He want to know who the lineup is. He want to help add value in terms of touching the right talent. You know what I mean? He want to make it easy for us. And use his experience, you know, to make it easier for us, you know, as we navigate through this whole thing. On top of relationships as well. Because yet again, this industry is, is super duper small and like a Dan, right? Like we know Dan already from 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 back in the day a little bit, even though it was like a year and some change ago. But just imagine Sean and the relationships that he's built over the years and to be able to introduce Marcus into Marcus and I into different folds that, you know, makes sense that he has, you know, strong relationships with and then us doing the same because it's folks on the street, it's different events that he don't know about that maybe we introduced him to. So it's, it's been a fantastic relationship. Yeah, it makes perfect sense because at the end of the day, most festivals, even the ones that are household names today, lose money in the first few years. So when you're starting from scratch, so much of it depends on who you can get money from investors, how you can get secured, you know, deals in place for all of these things. And unfortunately, it can be harder for folks that look like you to be able to do that here in, in this country, right? So when you look at that, being able to have the support of a company that has gone through to the fact that they have a division geared towards this, the partnership makes perfect sense. It gives you all the room to do what you can do to build this up because you know that something is here. And I think that if we just 
let's say it, like it wasn't there if we just let the festivals that can maintain get to where they are, then there's so much left as an opportunity or not even as an opportunity. There's so much left that isn't given the opportunity because of that. So it's one of those partnerships that I do think makes a ton of sense, at least from the outside, from my perspective. For sure. So shout out to LNU for sure. Yeah. The other thing too with this year, you lined it up with the Black Change Weekend. And I know that was part of the promotional push for this. How has that shaped your event planning and what you hope is in store for this weekend? Yeah, I mean, we're kind of, we've always kind of been on that, right, Dan? So when we talk about, when we talk about Broccoli City as a whole, right, you know, to say that Broccoli City is a music festival, it's kind of disrespectful, right? When, when you think about everything that we have done leading up into this point, like in 2017, us launching, you know, BroccoliCon, you know, like I don't know any other festivals that you can go to that you have a networking opportunity, a chance to maybe hear a Dan talk or hear a Bosman St. John talk. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know no other festivals with that. And if I do, I know them after we started the, the whole conference outlook, right? And then when you think about a 5K run, right? Like, I don't know any other festivals that's doing 5K. I think they are something to do do that stuff now. But yet again, it was always a Black Change weekend when, when you think about it. You know what I mean? And yet again, I know that we're one of the only festivals, if you think about on the wide scale of them all, that gears the talent, gears the experience, the host, the music, the all that geared with African-Americans, Black people of color in mind first. You know what I'm saying? Like our people aren't the afterthought, which I think at it, it, some of these other events, we may be the afterthought, you know? So yet again, with Black Change Weekend and really just kind of putting that word out there, it really hasn't changed much of what we already have been doing, in all honesty. I think it was important for us to put a name to it, though. So I'm glad that you mentioned that, Dan. And Mark, I don't know if you have any statements on that. Please. Yeah, no, I was just going to say that. It was important for us to say what it is, right? Like coming out of COVID, we made a conscious decision that we wanted to use our platform better, right? And at the core of what that meant was we wanted to create Black change for Black folks. We knew we had corporate partners. We knew we had different folks who've been looking to touch this demo. We, our sponsorship and partners have always been strong. But now it was time to say like, all right, well, you've been cutting Broccoli City a check. How can we do a better job of providing resources and opportunities to these attendees? Oh, you want a better platform to do so? You need an expo? Okay, we're going to add an expo to the conference. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you want to talk about health and wellness? Okay, we're going to add another component to the 5K, right? So I think for us, it was always there, but we needed to be intentional going into 22 about that. And to add on to Marcus's point, Dan, not afraid to say Black, right? Like, I think a lot of us get to a certain level, and I even said it earlier, right? Like POCs, like people of color, like, you know what I mean? Which is cool, don't get me wrong, but Marcus and I wasn't afraid to say, yo, we really want to do this for Black folks. And I don't think there's nothing wrong with that at all. You know what I mean? Like, there are specific festivals that may be geared toward the Hispanic consumer which is completely fine. It, it don't mean you ain't gonna see no black person there. But I think the key about black, the conversation around black change is that for black change to happen, it takes more than black people, mm. right? So let's mm. be clear, right? Like black change happens internally with black people, but you need some white folks, some Spanish folks, some Asian folks to participate, right? In some change happening. So this isn't necessarily just a black event. It's just that we focus in on creating change for black people. That's an important distinction. And I think that to your point, right, there is a 
great opportunity to celebrate this and not be afraid to call it what it is and have that. There are many festivals that hit different groups for that reason, but the fact that you all know your audience, know the opportunity you're going to create and in the region that you're doing it, it makes perfect sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know what? To think on that, even if we check out, uh, if everybody checks out the Quest Love documentary, The Summer of Soul, and you know what I mean? Everybody, it big so emphasis on that. But it's like, yo, this shit going on right now too. So come to Broccoli City and see somewhere soul in action as well, you know? Exactly, exactly. All right, well, before we let you go, for the listeners, give us a sense of how you're feeling now going into it. Of course, the festival's coming up and you talked a little bit about some of those years you're feeling good, some of those years you're not. How are you feeling right now? feel great. I feel good. You know what I'm saying? I'm pretty sure Marcus feels great too. I mean, it's lit up, you know what I mean? Everything from Kid to Summer Walker to Tim's to Rico Nasty to Young Jeezy to Snowman, like Don Tolliver. Like, what the fuck we talking about? You know what I mean? Like, it's splitting up. 21-21, Dirk. I mean, come on, Mick Gunner. Like, come on, man. And on top of that, there's so many things going on that weekend. Black Change Weekend. And it's in D.C. I'm feeling Mac. You know what I mean? Like it's phenomenal. So I'm I'm super excited. I don't know if Mark got anything to add. No, no. Nah, nah, I feel I feel super excited. It's funny because not that B's job is done, but the bulk of his core shit is on the front end. So now, like he like did my job. You know what I mean? What's up now? Like so now it's like I'm on back to back production calls, experience call, venue calls, and so. Speak on that, though. And me and Mark have had this conversation. It's one of the things that I respect about my partner so much is that Mark hates it when we go somewhere, we're at an event and they like, yo, this is OK for a black event. You know what I mean? Like, and I love for you to just speak on how you trying to heighten our experience and how you, heighten, you know what I mean? Like how you've heightened experience. He's already heightened experience for other LNU properties as well. Honestly, damn man. I mean, you know what it is, right? We met at probably one of the most immaculate fundraisers a person could go to. Right. Like, let's be honest, right? Like, we saw some stuff right there in front of us that was like, is this happening in real life? Like, I got to go back and watch the video to confirm I'm watching this with my own eyes. And at the end of the day, like, there's a stigma out there that if you just have the talent, that's enough. That ain't enough. Coachella spent two, $10 million on art. That's more than, that's more than festivals hold talent budgets. But that's why, to our conversation earlier, why they dropped that lineup with no names and it be sold out. Because people know that there's an experience value associated with that brand. And a lot of our people aren't willing to invest that $10 million because it may not come back to you year one. That's an amortized cost over 10 years for you to see that value in that art you spend it. And so I think that's what we're getting into now, right? And that's what the partnership with LN gives us the ability to do. It's to go spend big money on experience, right? And push partners to say like, nah, you can't do that little 10 by 10 tent. Nah, yeah. nah. If you want to be on site with us, you got to step it up. You got to get your agencies up. Like, you got to get it right. And we want to give that experience to our people. Yet again, if this is Black Change Weekend, it needs to be beautiful. We are the culture. We are, you know what I mean? So even if there's any sponsors listening to this, any, you know what I mean? Like get at us so we can make this experience great because these are the same people that make your products what it is. These are the same people that make whatever artist that is on top. It was Shanika, Tanika, and Raheem 
that made that artist pop, period, period. You know what I mean? And those are the folks that go to Broccoli City. You know what I mean? Even if we talk about ticket prices and things of that nature, Dan, like, come on, bro. We giving folks 10, 12 phenomenal acts and our prices ain't nowhere near. Anyway, I don't even want to get there. That's a whole nother conversation. And we've done that by choice because we want to make sure that we give our people the experience. I had a girl tell me one time, B, I ain't never been to Disney World, but I've been to Broccoli City, though. And I appreciate you for that. You know what I mean? Because we're the only festival that maybe she can afford, you know? So I don't know. It's just such a bigger conversation than what we can do in this 30 to 40 minutes. But it's a real thing. And, and yet again, I just commend I commend my partner in public and in front of the whole whoever listening, you know what I mean, for really sticking on that shit. Like, nah, B, like, we got to make sure this shit right, bro. And I respect that wholeheartedly because anybody can book an artist. If you got the bread, you can go out there and get them. That's fine. You know, now I do hop through hoops and shit and do what I do, you know what I mean, to give myself a pat on the shoulder. But factory. <laughs> in, what we, in, in terms of what we're trying to do for this experience, it's, it's key. And we just want our people to have a magnificent time. So anyway, shout out to that, to the experience. So. It's a perfect way to complement both of your skill sets, where you see the space. And yeah, I mean, Mark, I hear you. B already has his work done. He can get excited about stuff. And I know you got a lot on your plate, but I think that you have it in store. You have the partners. And like you said, you know, there's an opportunity here and no different than a company investing in a startup or investing in an artist. Many of these festivals need that, you know, level of support too. And I think that's where it can happen, especially with something that has the proven audience that you all do. For sure, for sure, man. Well, I hope you got your ticket, man. I hope you're going to be in D.C. because we got these VIPs on the ice for you waiting when you get here. I appreciate y'all. I appreciate y'all. Thank you. Thank you. And yet again, man, thank you, D, man, for highlighting what's going on on this side. You know what I mean? From the Chitlin circuit to right now, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's been a whole bunch of us pushing and curating our culture and making sure that that we are responsible for getting our artists out there and getting their music out there. You know what I mean? And yet again, I don't want to keep tooting our own horn, but I mean, we had the Willow and Jaden back in the day. You know what I'm saying? Like we had, come on, man, the Solanges and all that. Like cats got to stop it. Smino, you know what I mean? All these cats that a lot of people were just taking note to, like, bruh, we've been pushing these folks out and not for any other reason than they've been using their gifts and we want to make sure that we use our platform to get their gifts to the world, you know, if that makes sense. So it's a blessing. Appreciate you. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. All right. Then, yeah. Anyone else that is listening, you already know about the concert. Make sure you go to the website. Y'all want to give them a quick plug. Make sure that people listening know where to go check it out. Hey, man, go to bcfestival.com, Broccoli City. I'm pretty sure you heard of it. Your cousin heard of it, you know, so make sure you out there. Yeah, make sure you're out there because you don't want to see them pictures. You don't want to be on Instagram that day and you're not there. That's just not something you want to do. <laughs> For sure, man. Appreciate you again, Dan, man. It's love, man. It's, it's great just to connect with you. Big fan of the podcast. Stay on the Twitter. I'd be about to comment on some of your stuff, but I'd be like, yo, let me chill. You know what I mean? Some of them comments be crazy. <laughs> but nah, it's, it's, it's love, though. I really appreciate this, man. And I love the growth that you're building on your side with your platform and and the brand growth, man, stay down. Anything we can yeah. do, man, you already know. And yet again, and I, and sorry, D, you know me, I'm going to go on a tangent before we let go, but that's the ecosystem, right? Yeah. Right? Black journalists, right? Black curated events. Like we all, you know what I mean? So we have to do a way better job. Black executives that you've interviewed before, black agents that you've interviewed before, we got to find a way to make it work. 
because they're finding out a way to make it work in all due respect. You know what I mean? So we got to figure it out. But appreciate you, brother. I'm going to get off my shit For sure. <laughs> no, that, that's a great note to end on. Appreciate you both, man. Appreciate you. Appreciate you, Dan. If you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and share it with a friend. Copy the link, text it to a friend, post it in your group chat, post it in your Slack groups, wherever you and your people talk, spread the word. That's how Traffalo continues to grow and continues to reach the right people. And while you're at it, if you use Apple Podcasts, go ahead, rate the podcast, give it a high rating and leave a review. Tell people why you like the podcast. That helps more people discover the show. Thank you in advance. Talk to you next week.